We were discussing last week the story of the daughter of Yifta. And we saw the second uh, approach brought by the Midrash, the Ramban, and that is that Yifta, for whatever reason, felt he did the right thing by bringing up his daughter by sacrificing her as a carbon. And it was definitely not the right thing. And therefore, even though he was held to task, like you're going to see he was punished for that, but we see an interesting passage. Passage man, the first thing the passage says before that the end of passage Lamentes, that is, Vatahi Choyk for Israel. It became a Choyk, a law in Kali Israel. Rashi said, A person shouldn't do things like that, which means offer human sacrifices. Now, we asked last time, what was the reason, according to that person, what was the reason to make such a chuk? And as if Yiftach didn't know better, and for whatever reason he thought he did the right thing by sacrificing his daughter, was it something which was a prevalent enough misconception that it required them to make a chuk that such a thing shouldn't be done? So, this is a principle which we find a number of times in the Nakh. And that is, the danger of a person who is in a position of importance making a mistake is that other people learn from that. And maybe they wouldn't have thought that originally, but once somebody who they look up to or somebody that they respect makes a mistake, so then it causes other people to follow suit. And, for, and therefore, like the postkim tell us, when a leader sins, he's going to get, normally he's going to be culpable for the fact that he drags his door down with him. Not because he was trying to do that. He wasn't trying to mislead everybody, but he sets an example. And therefore, when people learn from him and do the same thing, so it has an effect which you never expected. Just to give an example of such a thing, in, in the context of a tzaddik, in the context of a tzaddik, who didn't mean uh, the, the damage he caused because he didn't realize people were going to follow him. And that's the story of Amram, the father of Moshe. Amram was a big tzaddik, as you know, he was a leader of his dog. And when Pari passed his decree uh, to kill all the boys, so the Gemara tells us that Amram divorced his wife, Yechavit. And as a result of that, Klai Yisrael followed the leader. And they all divorced their wives. Al-Kadekach, that his young daughter Miriam, comes to him and says to him, Your gazera is worse than Pari's gazera. Because Pari only made gazera to kill the boys. And what you've said, in fact, is there are going to be no more Jewish children. And uh, he accepted what she said, and he remarried Yechavit. That's what the Gemara tells us. And the obvious question is, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? What she said is uh, very logical. I mean, she was a child of five, but she was a great person. But we understand it wasn't something so deep. Was, of course, if everyone in Taisha was going to get divorced, there are going to be no more Jewish children. So what was Amram thinking? So we can explain Amram very well. And that is, Amram felt he had already been Makai in the midst of the river. He had a boy and a girl. If that's the case, more than that, his chiv to have more children is a gather of Shavas, which means to populate the world. And if it's just going to create children, which a lot of them, or if anyone would be a boy, they'd get killed. So he didn't feel he was Makhayev to do that. So as long as his Makai is midst of the rise of having children, he had a boy and a girl. He felt he was Yetze. Now, that Cheshbon would be okay. If every if everybody is kind in the midst of peer review, 
So then Rabbi Yochai said, Yerusha Fakal Yisrael. What Amram didn't take into Cheshpan is that everybody would follow him regardless of the circumstances. And therefore, he, did, he thought he would get divorced. Here is his reason for doing that. And he didn't expect the whole of Cheshpan to follow suit. And once they all did, so then Miriam's argument is a very good argument. If everyone's going to learn from his example and do the same thing, so then it's true. So then it's not a, it wasn't the correct thing to do because it's going to have the effect on Klai which he didn't intend. And therefore he, he, he remarried Yechavet. And we have to understand that everybody else followed him again. And if he was going to get remarried, then they did as well. This is one example of the fact that when the leader does something, even in this case he might have had a reason for doing it, but there's always the danger of the effect it's going to have on other people. And therefore, even though the idea of human sacrifice is against uh, Klai understanding of everything, it's not something we ever do, it's not something we ever hold of, but there was a danger that once Yiftach did it, so people would learn from him, he was a king, he was a leader. And if that's, what, if that's the case, of course, we can look at it as something which was wrong, but there was also the danger of those people who would look up to Yiftach and therefore assume he couldn't have been doing something wrong, so they must have found, they would think, that he must have had some reason for doing it, which may be right. And therefore, it needed them to make a special takana, the chum of the door. But he, the chayku Yisrael, they made a rule, this is not right. We don't, uh, no one should do such a thing. Just because Yiftach did it didn't mean he was right, he was wrong. And uh, it's not something which we want to uh, you know, have, give everyone, anyone the notion of thinking that they did the right thing. That's the first shot Rashi, that the Gzair was specifically not to repeat what Yitzhak Yiftach did. The second chapter in Rashi is that it's going on the continuation of the Pasuk. And it became a chayp to Yisrael that the Bnei Yisrael would go to Tanis, which means to mourn for Bas Yiftach. Arbi Yom Vashana. And we asked, what was the point of that procedure? According to this Malach, she had been killed. She was not under a life. So what was the idea of perpetuating the mourning for her? And the answer here is the same as before. It's just a question of what the chayp was. But the idea was the same. Which means... Uh, when something happens of such severity in Israel, then we're scared it's going to become something which people might copy, something which people might try to justify or learn from, and therefore it became something which they felt needed a public, so to speak, uh, act of showing that we don't connect to this. And therefore the way to do that was to make a public hespadium uh, for all the Bnei Israel, for the daughter of Yiftach, a number of times, four times a year, and that, that, that would, so to speak, entrench in Klai Yisrael's communal understanding that this was something bad. This is something we don't want to repeat. Which is the way that Klai Yisrael are meant to react to when we see something very wrong. We are meant to just say, okay, it was a mistake, or it was uh, somebody's crazy idea, or whatever it might be. The way Klai Yisrael are meant to react to something which is wrong is to show publicly we distance ourselves from it. It shouldn't be something which people can accept. It shouldn't be something which people can, uh, so to speak, get used to or begin to entertain the thought that it might be justified. We have to show that it's wrong. And the Chacham of the time, maybe they were wrong, like we saw before, and in not preventing Yiftach doing what he did, whether they thought they could or whether they didn't realize what was going to happen. We spoke about two different uh, explanations last time. But once it had happened, so then they felt that there's something which needs to be, uh, so to speak, uh, made a very public display that we don't associate with such a thing, that it's wrong. Is that what we would do today? today I'm asking. I'm no, that would happen today as well. If somebody who's no one would look up to anyway, or somebody, something happens which no one knows about. So of course, we don't have any need to publicize something. But if it's a person who would be considered maybe to be something 
somebody the people would find out and look after and people know about it and then people know about it and if someone publicly does something wrong which we don't approve of so then yes as much as uh, we don't want to have to let's say lower ourselves to talking about things which have done, been done wrong or gone wrong but if there's a chashash that people are going to learn from such a behavior or such an activity and then we, we have to stand up and we have to explain why it's wrong we have to stand why it's wrong because it's, it certainly counters the negative influence that such a person could have had Okay, that's, that becomes a khiyav on the on the, the, the based in, in this case or whoever the, the leaders of the Torah are so that to make sure that people sh- uh, make, fi- make sure that people uh, don't, don't don't fall in such a mistake um, if you want another example of such a thing another example of when a leader uh, or when something goes wrong and then it's necessary uh, to publicly distance ourselves and show that you don't hold of such a thing. And this is the, the terrorist example. The terrorist example of someone called Zakir Mamre. Zakir Mamre wasn't a bad person. He was a leader. He was an elder. He was a sage. He was a person in his own right. And nevertheless, if for whatever reasons he disagreed with the Sanhedrin Agadol, and he ruled not like the Sanhedrin, so then this is something which, again, because of his stature, is something which might cause people to follow him. And then to that, when the Gemara, when he talks about Zakeh memory, says it has to be a Zakeh. If it's just a Talmud, if it's just an amateur, that uh, he doesn't have the stature that people are going to follow him, we can even him up. Or when we become somebody of importance, of prominence, and we're scared that once he makes a certain stand against this in Hedrin that everyone's going to follow him. So it's not enough that we're going to, we're going to punish him. We do something we don't do, but came out any other case in the Torah. And that is normally, like the mission tells us in Hedrin, which means normally if a person is held guilty for something, we don't wait. We don't wait. If, he's, if he deserves a punishment, we have no need to torture him psychologically and make him wait to be punished. In the same day they make the decisions, the same day they carry out the punishment, whatever the punishment is going to be. If it's missed, if it's Malchus, whatever it's going to be, we don't make people wait to get punished. It's an unfair added level of suffering that we don't have to inflict on them. And the exception to this is the Zakat Mamet. The Gemara tells us, they would wait until the next regal to kill him by the, by the regal. And why would you want to kill him by the regal? Because that's when all Klaish are gathered in Yerushalayim. And therefore, we want to publicize that we're killing him as a Zakin memory so that people shouldn't follow him. So, wait for the so even it might be six months until the next Chayk. Mm-hmm. We're going to hold him and not, not, not punish him until the Chayk, which is something we never ever do. Because of the importance of, at this point, of making it clear to Klaish Israel that. We don't want people to follow the mistake that he made. Okay, and that's the same idea here. That uh, to do something public, to show that we distance ourselves from such an activity, and it's something which we don't want Israel to learn from, or to mistakenly believe is the right thing to do. Now, that's the story of the Basis, Yiftach. We're going to see in Parakid Base, there's another part, another mistake, big mistake that Yiftach made, so much so that there are even those Mufarshim, such as the Barbanel and others who say, that the reason why Yiftach landed up in a situation where he wrongly killed his own daughter, and like we saw, it was the only child he had, so he was left without any descendants, was because of the second mistake, that that's why Hashem was marshal him with his daughter. So what was the second mistake Yiftach made? So it says, after the Yiftach had been victorious in the battle against Amwin, so what happens? The people of Ephraim get together, Remember, Ephraim is located in the middle of Eretz Yisrael. So they hear about Yiftach's victory 
against Amun across the on the other side of the Yarden. So Am Ephraim, so to speak, mobilized themselves. But Yavrit they went north to the Ever Yarden, which is where Iftah was in Gilad. Why did he go to fight with Amun without us? He didn't call us to join you in the battle. And therefore they said, We're going to burn your house. This wow. was the half, I'm saying this is the other half of the Shevet? This is Ephraim. He was Menashe. He was Menashe. This is Ephraim. Now, this wasn't the first time Ephraim did this. We've seen this before. When Gidon, who was also from Menashe, went to fight, so there also he, he, he fought and he was successful, then it was against Midian. And then we saw also that after he was successful in battle, the people of Ephraim came to complain. He, they didn't invite them? Sorry? They didn't, they didn't. So we're going to see that they did invite them. But uh, once, wa- they didn't want to come and fight. But once uh, the, the, they saw that uh, the Bnei Menashe had won the war, they came to fight. In Perichest, we had it. That people, the people of Prime said to, to get on them, What's my daughter as there? I see Sadonna. The Vilti cried on the Kelaf, the Lachem Minion, very even the Tabachoska. Same people of Ephraim. That then went to fight with Menash Gidon. Why didn't you include us when you went to fight with Midian? They come now to fight with Yiftach, and that is why didn't you include us when you went to fight with Amun? Now the way Gidon dealt with that is he said, "Hello, tell you On the contrary, it was in your source. You're much stronger than me. You're much better than I am. I'm just from Menash and you from Ephraim. What can I do like what you could do? In other words, he dealt with them diplomatically. And Akhirah tells us, man If a person answers softly, it can reduce the anger of whoever his adversary is. So Gidim's approach to dealing with the anger of the Nefraim was to say, calm him down and say, you're right, you would have done a better job than me, you're better than I am, you're stronger than I am. And that ended the altercation there. But now when they come back and they fight with Yiftach, exactly the same point, why don't you, why don't you call us to fight with, with, with Amun? And we're going to take revenge on you, like they said. So Yiftach answers them. But Yemi Yiftach Adem. Yiftach answers them. He says, "What's it got to do with you?" Ish Riv Ayisi Ani Vamim Ibnei Amun Moik. We were the ones who were fighting Amun because we were the ones in Eber Yadin who were suffering from Amun. Right. The Etzak Eschem, and only that I called you. The lawyer Shatam was severe. He didn't want to come and help us. So he says clearly that we asked you to come. You didn't want to come. So what's your complaint? That why didn't you call you? And not only that, the Eraki and Chomishi, I saw that you weren't coming to assist us. So Yiftah says, I was most nefesh. I risked my life. And Hashem made me victorious. And therefore, why are you coming to fight with me? On the contrary, you should be grateful to me. You weren't willing to fight before, and I'm willing to here. And I was going to risk my life to fight amongst Yiftah. So what, what right do you have now in coming to come and complain? And at this stage, Yiftah was right. Bnei Ephraim had no good argument. He, he had, they didn't want to fight the battle, and now to come and, so, so to speak, to come and blame, why did you take the credit and not invite us? They were wrong. They didn't, they didn't, they chose not to fight before. Well, why were they doing this? Because since the time of Yeshua, we saw Ephraim always considered themselves the more prominent of the two sons of Joseph. Okay. Just like Moses to Ephraim, Ephraim Nasha, so they felt they were always, so to speak, the more important part of Chalik Yosef, and therefore whenever Menashe which was the other branch of Yosef, achieved something, so they, they felt that, why would we be doing this? Why, why do you, do, why you still the glory? Mm-hmm. 
So even though they refused to go fight, even though they refused to go fight, they, 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 so like, they were wrong. How dare you? Exactly. The honor should have been ours. Right. Exactly. Which is why they were wrong. It is why when Yiftach goes to fight, then they lost. If I'm a point out that, 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 that they were wrong to come and fight Yiftach, which is why they lost in the battle. And that's what happens. unlike They don't try to pacify them. You want to fight with me? I'll fight with you. So he gathers the people of Gilad and he, he goes to war with Ephraim. Ephraim. The people of Gilad, which is the people of Benasha, they overcame Ephraim, they, they slaughtered them. He armed repeatedly Ephraim at them. Gilad Basech Ephraim Basech Benasha. And the reason that they fought them is because the people of Ephraim, where Asher says the Pasuk, says to them that, What are you worth, Gilad? Basech Ephraim. In other words, he said, even in the in the in the rest of Shevet Yosef, the people of Gilad, which was the half of Menashe, which was in the Eber Yarden, is less harsher than the rest of Shevet Yosef. He said the 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 of Yosef is really a prime. Next will come Shevet Menashe, who is part of Eretz Israel. and you people in Gilad, you are kind of the lowest, uh, so to speak, echelon in in Menashe Yosef, and which is why. So the, so they went to war. Gilad went to war with them. And what happens? Gilad is victorious. And what did they do? They basically cut them off. Which means that Gilad was on the other side of the Yarden. And therefore, what they did is they blocked them going back over the Yarden, returning to their land in Eretz Yisrael. So now they were trapped. And that's what it says. Well, Yilkot Gilad, this marvelous Yarden, Ephraim. Gilad firstly conquered, captured the crossings of the Yarden which Ephraim had used. And therefore, now Ephraim were caught, so to speak, trapped in the Eretz Gilad, and they were being killed. So they tried to run back again. When the people of Ephraim who had escaped were trying to ask to be allowed to cross over the Yarden, so they used to ask person by person, are you from Ephraim? Because they wouldn't let the people of Ephraim cross over. So the people of Ephraim obviously weren't going to admit it, and therefore the survivors, uh, they said, no, we're not from Ephraim. But the people of Gilad knew that Shavit uh, Ephraim had a speech impediment. They couldn't say the Russian shit. And therefore, They said, say the word Shibaylis. Because the people of Ephraim couldn't pronounce the shin, and therefore they pronounced it as a sin. And therefore, when they were told to say Shibaylis, they said Shibaylis, which was the giveaway that they were from Ephraim. And therefore, So anyone from Ephraim, who they caught trying to cross the Yarden, they killed him on the banks of the Jordan. And therefore, they killed 42,000 people from Ephraim, who were killed in the civil war between Gilad and Ephraim. That's uh, the right way to deal with the internal conflict in Israel while going to war. Definitely not against our own brothers. And also, we're talking about a tremendous amount of people. Uh, we like, just just 42,000 is crazy. 42,000 other people, and just that's more than Israel lost in all its war. Even safe We have examples of wars they fought and inflicted the heavy casualties on the enemies. Talks about 10,000 people, talks about 20,000 people. Here we're talking about 42,000 people. That's a tremendous amount of people. And now the question is, why was Yiftach justified to do this? What was the hatter to to and they were running, the they were trying to escape here. So it, it could be right. So it could be the Mufarshim said that at the beginning when they came to threaten him and he responded with force, maybe he was allowed to do that to protect himself. Then it comes to say we're going to burn your house or whatever it is, we're going to fight with you. 
So okay, there could be a justification then to to fight back. Like we said, it's a very general principle. Back is a Torah instruction. That is, if people are running from the battle, so now they're no longer posing a threat to us. And that's the case, unless it's in a case like the the seven nations of Canaan, where we have a mitzvah to destroy them. But if it's not an enemy which we have to destroy, so then we let the survivors escape. We have no need to chase them down to the last man. Even but if their intention is to regroup? Whoever, if they're not in a position to do that, so then we don't have to, we don't have to kill them. The times in the, in the Nakh we find that they chased every last survivor, was in cases of Sheva Mamin or Amalek or things like that, where there was a mitzvah to destroy them. And we see Vasishra's army, which was in the Canaan, or that Amalek, whatever it is. But Yehuda normally... And Shimon, they helped them to go back, right? Doesn't it say Yehuda and Shimon, that they helped them to return to there after they won the battle? Much later on. Help the survivors to go back. That's much later, right? The time of the Malachim. But now, the Halacha even is that when a Jewish army goes to attack a a city, they must leave one avenue open. They can come from three sides, not from four, because that's why they're leaving an avenue of escape for people to run away. And it's talking about attacking Goy. So, Kalvachem here, when we're talking about fighting other Jews, so they might have been right to fight the Fry, if the Fry can attack them, but they shouldn't have cut off the escape route. And, and especially when the people coming back from Ephraim, they weren't trying to be fighters anymore. You see, they even denied they were from Ephraim. So that's the case, to, to try and interrogate them and, and kill them, when at that stage they weren't posing a threat to anybody, that was something which was terribly wrong. Which, uh, like I said previously, this was Yiftach's second mistake. And even as the first would say, that's why he was punished in losing his boy. Remember, this happened before the story before, because this was still during the battle. It was only after he came home afterwards that he met his daughter, and uh, the story with his previous parent taught us played out. And uh, the, this was not after the battle? Well, this is before he went home. Again, after he won the battle with Amon, so then the people of Ephraim came to challenge him, and that's when this played out. Right. The, 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 the parent before just put the story together because it told us his promise, so it tells what happened to his promise. But any actually that happened afterwards. Like I said, in the question he said, this was why he was, we you know, he brought the Gemara, that Yiftach was not answered favorably, and therefore what came out of his house first was his daughter, and in other parts he said it was a punishment. It was a punishment for what he did, that Hashem said, I don't want your Korbanis. After what you did to Ephraim, I don't want your Korban. And therefore, Dafka Hashem orchestrated that it wouldn't be something he could bring as a Korban which came out, because it was showing Hashem's displeasure with him, that he had promised me what you would give me as a Korban, I don't want it. And Dafka won't be something he could bring as a Korban, and it landed up even more tragic than that, that he ended up killing his own daughter as well. Okay, so that's the, that's the conclusion of the story of Yiftach. There's one more last possible, and that is the punishment that Hashem gave him even here in his lifetime. We don't punishment that Yiftach himself got in his lifetime. It says, Vayishpat Yiftach is Shoshay Shonin, Vayamas Yiftach Agilani, Vayikavim Ba'ar Gilot. Yiftach died, and he was buried in the cities of Gilot. Uh, now, the Pachad already pointed out, you can't be buried in a number of cities. So what's the Lashon Ba'ara Gilad? So, Pachad learned from this, is that the way Gilad died, is he got some kind of leprosy, which caused his limbs to fall off one by one. And therefore, instead of just dying in one go, uh, he, he basically, parts of his body were buried in different places, because, as you know, that's Salah, an Abraham and Achai, a full limb from a living person needs to be buried as well. And therefore, it was like a long, drawn-out death of as he lost his body piece by piece, and that was each of it. It wasn't one place that was buried. Now, why was that the medical negative? 
So the Rabbi Nos is a very interesting thing. Uh, if you remember that Yiftach, Rabbi Nos goes with the shit that we brought before, and that is not that Yiftach put his daughter into seclusion, but he goes with the shit that like the Ramban in the Midrash, they actually killed him. And remember, his promise was by Yisiel Oida. I'm going to bring up as an Oida. There's something unique about the Oida which you don't find in any other carbon. And that is every other carbon, Balach is, you shech the animal, you bring the blood on the Mizbech, maybe the, what you call the Emurim, which is some of the fats and the internal organs, and that's all. The rest of the carbon gets uh, eaten either by the Kanim or by the Oida. The difference by an Oida is that they don't have shit for the Tuch, which means the whole carbon is to get cut into pieces and the whole thing is put on the Mizbech. But not as one unit. It's separated into however many different parts of the animal there are, and it gets, each piece gets put separate from the Mizbech. Now, if he's going with the Mahalikh, the Avernel, that when Yiftach said, that whoever comes out of my house first, I'm going to bring his Oida. And that's actually what he did. So Hashem punished him in a good middle. So just like the way one brings up an Oida is by separating each limb and bringing it separately, so Hashem punished him in limb by limb as well. Which means he also lost his body limb by limb as a miracle for what he did. And that's uh, that was the oynish that Yiftach got here. Obviously, that's not the oynish for Habitu B'nai Ephraim. It's something which would uh, be an oynish in Shemayim. What about the daughter? So, it's like this. Oh, in the hashkafa of any such story, we understand that something doesn't happen, that the Baruch Allah to happen. Yeah. But, the... And therefore, we understand that it wasn't without the cheshbon regarding her that Akkadosh Baruch let things happen, that she was punished. If we don't have a chazal that I'm aware of that tell us what she did wrong for that to happen. And that's like in many cases when somebody was a victim in the Nakh, we don't always know what the reason for what they did wrong was. The Nakhura, which is important here, and that is that uh, there was a dual role, based on what we see now, that the story with his daughter played. The one was it came as a punishment to Yiftach for what he did himself, and therefore, even though uh, he was basically the one who caused it by the nether he made or by not looking to move his nether, but the master was a punishment for him. That's the way things would work out, like we saw over here. And the second point was that it was it was also uh, the result of the mistake he made at the beginning. In the wall, like we saw the different approaches of what he had done wrong with the original net that he made while he was in the battle. And that's why Akadosh Baruchur didn't respond in a way which uh, gave him something which he wanted as a carbon. Hashem Dafka orchestrated events like that. Um, we know also, we don't know how old the daughter was exactly, but uh, we know that in the times of the Nakh, girls used to get married at a much younger age. So the Mashmar said she was still younger, because she said she never got married yet. And uh, we know also that the uh, puzzle tells us that the, the, when Hashem visits punishment on children when they're younger, it's for the sins of their parents. And therefore, it's definitely, if Yiftach was guilty, so if Hashem causes a punishment to happen to his child, it's, as, it's really because of the sins of the parents. We know that the reason, one of the reasons that the father of Amitsim makes the Baruch of Shabtarani, is that this person will no longer, this child will no longer be punished because of my events. Which means until that age, if something happens to a child, again, it's not that there isn't a reason why the child had to suffer, but primarily it's because of the various of the parents. And if if Yiftach's daughter was still younger when it happened, so then for sure what happened to her was often largely due to being a punishment for her father. Okay, and this is the tragedy of Yiftach. We have shaved him, we have completely tzaddikim, such as Ayyuz, such as Debaira, 
we have shaykhs who were completely shy, such as Avimelech. Uh, I mean, he wasn't really a shaykh, but he was someone in control, was a complete Russia. And then you have someone like Yiftach, that began as a tzaddik, and things went wrong, and he ended up in Russia. And that's, that's the tragedy of Yiftach, that even at the beginning, we see he was someone who was your Yishamayim, and somebody who wasn't looking to become a leader, and somebody who meant well, and he, he thought he was going to serve Ta'i Israel. But that changed, and uh, the story of Yiftach ends tragically, with the first is the bloodbath with the frame, and after is the, the story with his own daughter. So how do we explain Yiftach the point. The one, one thing at Chazal level of criticism directly at Yiftach is Yiftach Amu Aretzayim. And the Mashmala says that... The Mashmala says even if he meant well, and even if his motivation is good, but if a person doesn't learn or doesn't have the, the Torah to ask to, to direct him, they're going to make mistakes.